Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. When I was a kid, I used to go with my father. My father loved movies. But I remember the thing that I remember most about being a kid was my grandmother owned a candy store. And on mm. Wednesdays was her only day off. And she would take me and my brother and my sister to Radio City Music Hall back in the days when they oh. showed They had the Rockettes, but... They yeah. also had movies yeah. and we would show up. She'd pack lunches and drinks and in a, in a shopping bag and we'd go and sit in the balcony of Radio City. <laughs> and it was just such a wonderful time and so innocent. The Arch Campbell podcast featuring Arch, Lou Katz and a cast of thousands begins now. Well, that was Cinema Lou Charlotte telling stories about watching movies at Radio City and having a picnic lunch in the balcony with his grandmother. (laughs) I love that story. Uh, Hello, everybody. I'm Arch Campbell, and this is the podcast that tries to keep you up with the ever-changing world of entertainment. Lou Katz is producing and directing. Hello, Lou. I'm doing my maestro impersonation directing here. As you can see me waving my arms around with with my fake nose. That's me. That's the price of genius. And speaking of the price of genius, today uh, we are most happy to welcome back one of the original friends of this show. She's critic, author, entertainment reporter, and one of the smartest voices working today and let's say hello to Jen Cheney. Jen. Hi, how's it going? Hello. Well, Jen, we're just so impressed to have you. And before we start, a shout out to you for your appearance on the PBS NewsHour this oh, week. Oh, thank you. Discussing the best television. And uh, I was so happy to see you and you were just terrific. So uh, thank you so I much. Hope they, hope they use you more. And uh, you were talking about your favorite uh, TV shows of the year. So let's start with that. Uh, what are you watching? What do you like these days? When I was thinking about my favorite TV shows and my favorite movies, this year, I really focused on what what was I obsessed with? What could I not uh-huh. stop thinking about, mm-hmm. talking about, having feelings about? And so when I was making my TV list, you know, I argued with myself, should I make Succession my number one show? Because it's yeah. kind of yeah. predictable. But I can't lie to myself. Like, I didn't think about any TV show nearly as much as I thought about Succession. And enjoyed watching Succession and watched it over and over again. Uh, so I thought the final season was just phenomenal uh, on every level. Well written, well acted, surprising, and yet somehow inevitable. Uh, I just thought that was a fantastic season of television. So that was my yeah, The choices they made uh, and the manner in which they wrapped that show were excellent. Mm-hmm. Were just were satisfying. And you know, I think a lot of times you love a TV show and then it wraps up and it doesn't quite satisfy you. But mm-hmm. what Succession did, it was like, yes, of course, of course this would happen. Right. And and yet, like I said, you, you were still kind of on the edge of your seat figuring it out. It didn't feel like a foregone conclusion necessarily as you were watching it. Um, but it just... It, to your point, it just stayed true to what the show was, what the tone was, what the uh, ultimate kind of messages are uh, of that show. And yeah, I just, that was my number one pick. Um, I will say it was a close call between number one and number two. Uh, my number two was The Bear. 
the second season of the bear, which I also loved very, very much. Just miss those characters. The second that, that uh, last episode was over with. uh, And I I have you to thank for that because I'd gotten tired of the bear in the first season. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to the second season because you uh, admonished me. (laughs) In a a nice way, I hope. Yeah. Well, and it was great advice. (laughs) And it, it was one of my favorites this year. And among other things, in the second season of The Bear, I discovered, uh, is it Molly Gordon? Yes. The young actress who um, was also in uh, several other things, including uh, the little movie Theater Camp. Mm-hmm. And I think she added something to that second uh, season that uh, humanized it for me. Yeah. I mean, I always thought it was humanized, but I think this season was different in the sense that it felt a little less um, rushed to -hmm. some extent. It was a little less tense, uh, at least relentlessly tense than the first season, although there were still certainly moments of tension. But it was very much like a, a, a character study of characters that I find really interesting and uh, flawed but lovable. Uh, I can't wait for the third season to come back. Yeah, the family dinner episode, everyone seems to rate as the high point of the season with Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> After Thanksgiving and Christmas, <laughs> who can't identify with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about that season, though, I was on... Um, uh LAS the uh public radio station out in uh-huh. LA yeah. and we were debating like was that was fishes the best episode was it something else like you could make an argument uh-huh. for almost every episode of that season yeah. as the best episode of the show and uh you wouldn't necessarily be wrong because they're all really strong so well I thank you for the bear season two because I wouldn't have uh jumped back in without you well you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> And I know that Barry and Reservation Dogs were on your list as well. And uh, and I just loved those. And I was glad to see them come up on uh, your PBS uh, hit. What do you like now? Uh, well, one thing that I'm loving right now is uh, the fifth season of Fargo. I don't know if you've dug into that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, some people were kind of feeling like it was getting redundant, particularly in season four, even though it's an anthology series and it tells a different story every season uh you know it really is playing with a lot of the themes that were first kind of presented in the coen brothers movie in in 1996 but sort of twisting them a little bit and i i think five is a return to form um a season with uh john ham playing this really nasty awful uh cowboy conservative character <laughs> the darkest role i think i've seen john ham play uh, including yeah. don draper because at least i like don draper <laughs> a little bit uh and juno temple as a as a woman who's in a in a marriage has has a child and mm-hmm. is being kind of relentlessly pursued by ham's character for reasons that become clearer as the season goes on juno temple from people know from ted lasso and this yes. is such a different thing for her uh and 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 thank god because <laughs> i was i was tired of keely by the end of uh-huh. Ted Lasso. yes and i yes. think juno temple's a terrific actor and i'm glad to see her doing something different from that and not getting kind of pigeonholed into uh kind of a rom-com type of character and then jennifer jason lee who plays her <laughs> mother-in-law who at first i don't know how you felt at first i was like i don't know about this performance this is kind of mannered and annoying and then as the season progressed and you learn more about her character yes. i was like oh my god this is brilliant <laughs> yes yes 
<laughs> so uh, that, and I've seen all of uh, episode of season five of Fargo except the conclusion. So I can't wait. And my only um, criticism is the uh, penultimate issue um, didn't have Juno Temple in, it. and and when she's not in the show, I miss her. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, that's the only thing. So I can't wait to see how this comes together, and I'm sure. So I won't say anything beyond that. <laughs> uh, what else do you like these days? Well, I don't know if I would say I like it, but I was curious mm-hmm. to ask how you felt about the ending of The Crown. I don't know if you've caught up with the last few episodes because they released them in two parts. Right. Um, there was sort of the first part of the last season, which was very focused on Princess Diana and the circumstances surrounding her death. And then the last half or, or maybe a little more than a half of the season, which focuses more on, you know, the aftermath of her death, how it affects Prince William and then sort of, you know, Prince Charles moving forward. And then eventually we don't see, and I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you that Queen Elizabeth dies, but we don't really, <laughs> we don't really see really? her death. Oh, just like succession. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, uh, we see her sort of thinking about it and preparing for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought Imelda Staunton does a beautiful job of portraying the queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought the writing just falls really, really flat. In, in these last episodes, it's like they do not know how Peter Morgan and his team do not know how to write for Prince William and Prince Harry at all. Uh, to me, uh, the high point, of course, I loved uh, the the uh, episodes with Diana and the ghost of Diana just delighted me. Oh, I thought that and was horrifying. I hated it. Really? Horrible. Prince, <laughs> Princess Diana comes back from the dead to tell, Charles, to tell Charles that he's handsome. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I like that they that they acknowledged that uh, her presence was there, even though uh, she was no longer uh, on this earth. I especially yeah. liked the beginning of the second season when uh, William reconciled with his father because of his grandfather. I like those intergenerational things. I did, and then after <laughs> that. I, you're laughing at me now. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at myself. I'm laughing at the crown. I'm laughing at Peter Morgan. <laughs> I after that, after the the son reconciles uh, because as the grandfather, uh, uh, you know, pushes him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I they didn't have anywhere to go, and uh, I, I I guess I just look at the crown as it's about Elizabeth, and once we know, once we acknowledge that. She's finally going to die. Where else are they going to go? I thought the best episode of those last few was Mm -hmm. the one about Princess Margaret and their relationship. And when Princess Margaret has a stroke and like she's nearing death, I I thought Leslie Manville just did such a Mm -hmm. beautiful job of portraying Margaret. And that was the show. I was like, oh, this is the crown. This is the show that I like because... Uh, I felt like it was telling me something that I didn't remember quite as vividly. I think that's the hard thing with this show is that the closer it gets to recent history, we know it so well that it isn't really telling me something I don't already know or have a perspective on. But that episode did. And I really like that. Are we going to? So, so, okay. The crown is over and succession is over. And uh, you, you talked about this on PBS, but are we going to get these kind of shows in the future? I'm, uh, and, and I, 
you know, I, it's a, a, a dumb question. I fear that we're not going to get these kind of things going forward, at least for a while. I don't think it's a dumb question at all. Um, I think, you know, you can already see signs that uh, things are constricting, just this whole idea of Warner and Paramount merging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're going to see fewer streaming services, certainly fewer shows, which in some ways is a relief because we've had way too many for a while. But I think that uh, we're also going to see few fewer risks. And we may not feel that right away, but it's going to happen um, based on what I've been reading and then talking to people in the industry who have said, you know, Hollywood is is, is not known for being risky in recent years no, anyway. No. But since the strike, it's even worse is what I'm hearing. Like if you try to pitch an original, original idea, good luck. Uh, the, the only thing I will bring up about TV is uh, I was surprised at how much I liked lessons in chemistry and how many people I heard talking about lessons and chemistry. And uh, I gave my wife the book for Christmas. And she was mm-hmm. very pleased with that. And I stumbled onto uh, the current season of Julia about Julia Child. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first I was, I don't want to watch this, but, but I was fishing around and started it and uh, kind of liked it. It's a very charming, mm-hmm. well-acted, like nice show to watch. So I totally understand that. Yeah. So a couple of uh, nice things. I guess Lessons in Chemistry uh, is a one season wonder. Yeah, I can't see how. I mean, they really told the story that's in the book. Yeah. Um, I had some issues with that show, although I think it looks beautiful and Brie Larson is great. Um, some of the changes they made from the book, I didn't totally mm. think worked in the show. But um, but it, uh, but it for looked instance. great. For instance, and I'm going to forget her name, but the neighbor character, Uh totally different. They try to, and I understand the instinct to do this. They try to bring the civil rights movement into the show, which they don't talk about at all in the Mm -hmm. book, despite the time period that it's set in. And I felt like I appreciated the attempt, but it ended up just making it feel very secondary because that's not really what the main story is. And I feel like that underserved the character um, that they were centering everything around as far as that stuff goes. Uh, And I felt like it's, you know, it's a little bit of feminism 101. I feel like I've heard these messages in other shows before told a little more sharply, but it is it, it is certainly entertaining and and uh, really, you know, handsome yeah. production design, lovely costumes, all that stuff. Yeah. Brie Larson, by the way, just so good uh, in that. Uh, so <laughs> everybody's been talking about their 10 best list. And I, of course, made the mistake of posting one. That's not a mistake. <laughs> On Facebook. <laughs> and you you don't quite agree with my 10 best. That is not what I said. <laughs> I was commenting on your comments to someone else about Barbie. Oh. <laughs> What what did I say? Someone said, oh, Barbie's not on the list. And, you know, now you've confirmed my sanity. And you were like, yeah, Barbie's not on the list. And I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> it was, I really need to think before I write. You can say whatever you want. It's your page, Arch. <laughs> we still live in a country with free speech for now. <laughs> um. <laughs> I I agree that Barbie belongs on every twist on on every list. <laughs> I can't even talk. 
<laughs> remembering 2023 because it was the biggest movie of the year and it had the biggest impact. And uh, the director, uh, Greta Gerwig, whose work I admire so much, uh, has definitely made the choice that there's not going to be a Barbie 2. Thank God for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I was... still am like, I, they're going to do a spinoff. It's like something's going to happen. I just feel like the Probably studio won't want to just director. sit on it. Yeah. The way they did Silence of the Lambs, you know, <laughs> Silence of <laughs> the Lambs. Nobody understood that that was about Clarice and that we were worried for her the whole time. And they kept saying, oh, oh, you know, the villain, the bad guy, uh, the Lecter. And uh, uh, and they kept making all these movies about Hannibal Lecter when it was Clarice we cared about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I added Barbie as 10 You and shouldn't a half. have done that. Why, why would you do that? Well, well, because it was a mistake on my part. I should have, it should, it should be on a, a top 10 list. I, my top 10, I talked about uh, movies that spoke to me. Uh, Oppenheimer, because sure. I like history and maestro, because uh, I like musical genius and Killers of the Flower Moon. I didn't like the ending, but uh, I like epics and past lives. And did, did you see the zone of interest? I still haven't seen the zone of interest. Oh man. I would, would you please let me know if you see that? And I will. I plan to watch it. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to it based on the subject matter. Um, but I definitely plan to watch it. Uh, my wife won't watch it. I've, I've pitched it to her several times and she says, I just, I can't do it. I can't watch it. Mm. Uh, and, and, you know, American fiction and Nyad and the holdovers. And uh, if we had to pick a documentary, I pick still. I, yeah, that's a great, great documentary. Yeah, yeah, I hope. Yeah, I agree with a lot of the ones on your list. Killers of the Flower Moon is one of my favorites of the year. Um, uh, Oppenheimer is certainly up there for me as well, just not my top, top favorite. Um, And American Fiction, I've now watched that three times. Mm. Um, I just think that's such a well-written movie and was so, like, satisfying on a bunch of different levels. And the fact that Cord Jefferson had not made a film before and he has the ability to, like, skate between these different tones so effectively, I was really, really impressed by that. Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black and it's my book. You know what I mean. I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. You know, the thing about American fiction is uh, you get involved in it. Uh, Jeffrey Wright plays a, a writer of American fiction and uh, and uh, everybody's writing black and he's not. And so he, he creates this fictional character and uh, kind of it's uh, sort of like uh, Tootsie. He's he's punking everybody. And the whole time I'm wondering, how can they end this? How is this going to end? And their ending is just brilliant. So it's that satisfaction. Yes. I talked to Cord Jefferson about that specifically, uh-huh. actually. Uh, and I, I believe the book ends sort of the way the initial ending does with just like a, a uh-huh. cut to black. And I won't reveal yeah. too much about the ending, but um, he had to work with that for a while before he came up with what we ultimately end up seeing, which is very much in keeping with the tone and the sort of messages about Hollywood not being um, not only not friendly to Black people, but not interested in really hearing stories that 
are are nuanced and and well developed. Uh, so yeah, I thought I thought that was a brilliant film. Yeah. So maybe you'll forgive me for, uh, uh, but I'm old now. <laughs> you know, my brain is my brain is turning to mud. No, I think part of my my issue is that I have seen so many men not put Barbie on their list. I. <laughs> And that's why I feel bad because it's you shouldn't like, feel oh, bad. You God, should do what you want to do. I slipped into that. Why did I do that? I put if, air. I'm going to put another fellow critic on blast, but I won't say who they are, but they, they're going to know who they are if they hear this. <laughs> um, so I was at the middle Middleburg film festival earlier this year and I wore my Barbie shirt that just says, do you guys ever think about dying on it in the Barbie font? And this other film critic, he's like, what is that? And I was like, look at it. And he's like, I don't, what is that? I'm like, it's a line from a movie, blank stare, blank stare. It's the biggest film of the entire year. Blank stare, blank stare. What is this font? No clue. I'm like, it's Barbie. And this person had seen Barbie. And I'm like, if the biggest movie of the year was like a Batman movie, you wouldn't be asking me these questions. Like, it's ridiculous that I have to explain this. So anyway, I have a little chip on my shoulder about it. (laughs) Well, well, (laughs) anything I say is going to be wrong. It's not. (laughs) Except uh, I think you got to acknowledge Barbie uh, for the uh, phenomenon it was. Uh, The thing I liked about the movies this year is everybody thought, oh, the Tom Cruise movie. The previous year, Top Gun had done everything. So whatever he's done this year, that's going to be. And, you know, nobody's talking about Tom Cruise and that sort of stuff. And and that's good. That's great. Well, it is and it isn't because I thought that Mission Impossible was great. And I, I wish more people were talking about it because it was a really good movie. It just I, it just didn't land for whatever reason. Well, uh, what's your thought on Maestro, by the way? Maestro keeps popping up. I thought that it was very technically well done, like well directed. Like I loved the opening, the sort of like bravado of the opening. Yeah. And there are moments in it that I really, really like. And uh, I thought Carrie Mulligan was great. And I think Bradley Cooper is good. It's just, there's something in that film. And I don't know if it's because they speak in such a mannered way, but there's something in it that feels a little empty. Like I didn't feel like I really knew them intimately in the way that I would want to after watching a film like that. It felt, I felt a little bit at a distance from who they really were. And maybe that's because that's how they conducted themselves. Mm -hmm. They were a little bit removed, but um, that was my criticism of that movie. But I think Bradley Cooper is a great, you know, he's really proving himself to be uh, quite an accomplished filmmaker. I have seen several criticisms that uh, wanted uh, it to be a greatest hits, you know, and then he created West Side Story and then he created. Which we see that in every other biopic. To me, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody uh, touched on um, they were struggling with uh, the, uh, the portrait of uh, of his genius and um i don't know i just i love the the beginning and the black and white and the celebration mm-hmm. of mid-century culture and uh and there's a ballet uh where um the principals uh wind up in the on the town ballet that i i just i love that kind of uh magical uh real that sort of out of nowhere stuff mm-hmm. uh so we'll see. I think the fact that it uh, went to Netflix so quick is going to work against it. You do? Why? I don't know. I just <laughs> do. <laughs> you think the Academy voters are still sort of like, I don't like this whole Netflix situation? I I guess. I mean. I don't know. I mean, that's true of Killers of the Flower Moon. It was, it was in theaters, but it's also on Apple TV. Like so yeah. many of these movies now 
And honestly, at least for the moment, those are the places that are still funding movies, you know, like get used to it, people. (laughs) (laughs) So what is out these days that you like? There's a a lot of films have uh, popped up uh, uh, at the Cineplex. Uh, I'm sure Cinema Lou Lou still live uh, on your block. Not my block, but in my neighborhood, yeah. Uh I I haven't seen him in a while, but yeah. I have this idea that he's next door, (laughs) flinging open the window. Yeah, just shouting movie titles. (laughs) (laughs) Yoo-hoo, Jen, have you seen? (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice if it were like that. It's not, though. What's your thought on Boys in the Boat? You know, I haven't seen Boys in the Boat. Washington Huskies coach is bringing an inexperienced boat to competition. We have a boat that I believe could qualify for an Olympic spot. Hope you know what you're doing. My impression, and you can tell, have you seen it? I saw part of it. And oh, I just, okay. <laughs> I saw the boys, and they just got in the boat. The boat <laughs> and I thought, you know, I've seen chariots of fire. <laughs> you know, I, I love George Clooney, but I just feel like every time he directs a movie, I'm just like, oh. Like, it's just, <laughs> he, he does very, like, nice crowd-pleasing movies that are not particularly boundary-pushing or interesting, necessarily. Uh, uh, how about how about The Color Purple? I did see The Color Purple. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because obviously this is an adaptation of the musical, which I have not seen in a theater. I think it was, the one struggle I had with it was just a tonal thing because I'm so used to thinking of, thinking of it as a grounded, you know, drama based on the original film that when they would go into song, like there were moments where it felt like a weird tonal shift for me. But that being said, I thought the performances in it were excellent. I thought the choreography was terrific. Uh, So I really, really liked uh, the film, but it just, it took me, there were times where I had to like kind of rearrange my brain cells a little bit because I was accustomed to a different telling of the story. Yeah. You know, the original was so good. And so uh, boys in the boat, the color, I mean, a lot of stuff that's out now feels like uh, something else. It feels like, uh, uh, you know, a new version of something that's already been done. Well, that's called Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of that, it's time to pitch it over (laughs) to Lou Katz in the worldwide headquarters of Hound Radio. That's us, and we have a freebie for you. Check it out. If you love the idea of winning free Starbucks coffee and other cool goodies, then enroll in Hound Radio Drool School. It's tuition free, and we have a sumo cum laude graduate every week. We'll even send out an official Drool School diploma suitable for framing or filling up your recycle bin. Enrolling is easy. Go to houndradio.com. It's from the Internet's only Ivy League station, Hound Radio. So, Jen, for the last few weeks, I've just booked uh, single people on this show so we could get beyond, uh, you know, what they're watching and what they're like and talk about how you got into doing what you're doing. And so I would like to hear from you. How did you become a writer and a uh, critic? Gosh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I was always interested in in film and television and pop culture from a very, very young age. Uh, I may have told this story before on your show, but uh, I wrote my first movie review for the sixth grade newsletter at my elementary school. Uh, what, so, What was the movie? Um, well, there were two. I, I think I think technically the first one was Never Cry Wolf, but um, I, I tend to say it was a Christmas story because I, I felt mm. more confident about that review. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> 
Um, and, you know, and then I kind of, I was frankly like discouraged from going into writing because I think particularly my mom was like, you're never going to make a living. Uh, and she wasn't necessarily wrong about that, but, uh, I couldn't kind of shake what I wanted to do. So I went into journalism. Um, I started out really being like a local reporter in the DC area for a local paper. Um, and then eventually started working on the website of the Washington Post, um, doing kind of entertainment stuff when the entertainment section was really being built on the digital side. Uh, and then eventually became like a, a staff writer there writing for a blog um, called Celebritology that my friend and colleague Liz Kelly started. Uh, and that's when, honestly, what really turned the tide for me was when Liz and I started writing about the TV show Lost. And it became something that was like a, a go-to thing for a lot of people who came to the Washington Post to read about pop culture. Um, so you, you were um, at the Gazette originally, right? Yeah, that's where I worked before I was at the Post. I was at the Gazette. I did a little, like, for lack of a better word, a sabbatical where I worked on Capitol Hill for nine months doing a, a fellowship. And then I went back to journalism because I'm like, I don't want to work on Capitol Hill. <laughs> 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 Although it was a very interesting experience and I'm glad I did it. Um and then I was at the post doesn't seem to have the snap and the crackle that it had in the days when you were uh, there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're especially right now, they're going through a tough time. I'm sure, you know, they, they just did yeah. a bunch of buyouts and uh, a lot of really talented, great people left um, as a result of that. So but that's a story that's in different forms happening all across media. And you just you're always bracing, like, do I still have a job or do I not? Um, you know, I've, I've been at uh, New York Magazine for, gosh, seven years now. Mm -hmm. Maybe more than that. I can't count. <laughs> um, it'll be eight actually next year, next June. And, um, you know, it's every job has its difficulties, but of the jobs I've had, it's certainly the best uh, in terms of the things I get to do and the people that I work with who are very much on the same wavelength as I am. So I'm really grateful for that. It seems to me that you uh, you kind of rode the wave of uh, of the change between mass media to uh, to niche media. Yeah, I mean, I think the internet sort of made things more niche. You know, you things that uh, back in the day you would have said, no, nobody cares about that. Um, actually, a lot of people care about it. And now we have the means to see how many people are reading, um, how much time they're spending reading our stuff. Uh, obviously, you try to like cater to what you think is is a good story, regardless of all that. But it does tell you what people are interested in, in a way that we didn't know when we didn't have digital metrics to look at. And you had that wonderful success with the novel, uh, with the book, uh, As If, about the making of Clueless. Yes, I did. I wrote a book. It feels like a, a hundred years ago, but I did write a book about Clueless, and that was a, a, a great experience, too. And, and it's available at bookstores near you or... <laughs> Somewhere online, probably. Come on, Jen, sell it. Sell it. <laughs> this is, I'm not a great salesperson, so, but, but buy the book. We're running low on time, but what is it that you love about entertainment and telling people what's good and what's um, not? I think, you know, as much as current events, like being plugged into what's happening in the entertainment industry is is a sign that you live in the present and that, you know, you're, you're, when people talk about what was going on in say 2023 years from now, like a lot of those stories will be entertainment related. And so I feel like it, it helps us understand who we are 
and 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 our time. And I, I, I consider it very vital and important for that reason. Jen, I love talking to you. Lou and I, uh, you know, I love you because you were one of the first people to support what we're trying to do here. And I just want to wish you the best for 2024 and thank you for, for being our friend. Oh, thank you. And the best to both of you for 2024. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.